Frank, 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 Frank. We're back. Ooh, and we're on YouTube. Did you know we're on YouTube, Frank? Uh, are you saying I should have put pants on? Because maybe I should have put pants on. Well, you know, Frank, you haven't worn pants in years, so no need because we are live. And just like any Zoom call, Teams call, any podcast, any video, you only see our beautiful faces. But now you can actually see our faces. Last week, I did an experiment to see, does anyone on the list do a podcast on YouTube? And a few people did. So I said, let's use the power of free Zencaster and turn on and Starlink and turn on our webcams. And now it's happening, Frank. See, I just like the idea of releasing these videos on YouTube, and I just wanted to make sure we didn't have one of those static screens that just burns into your TV. I already have so much burn in on every screen I have from YouTube static screens, so I'm just happy, even if it's our boring faces. Hi, everyone. It's our boring faces. Good to see you. Hello, I'm James, and that's Frank. Well, (laughs) we recorded this podcast for 355 episodes, Frank. (laughs) No, I don't. You're making Ah. it up. It's not possible. (laughs) Well, you know Frank, what else is impossible? <laughs> what, what's impossible? This, what else, Frank? The, the, the current version of C Sharp or the next version of C Sharp, James. Do you know, can you even possibly guess at what the next version number is going to be for C Sharp? 28. Yeah, it feels like it, buddy. It feels like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I believe we are up to 12, sir. Good thing I work at Microsoft and you don't. So one of us knows these things. Well, I for a fact over here have been adopting newer features of C-sharp 11, C-sharp 10 in my applications. I only really get off to the ground running. We've talked about this in the previous episodes. When uh, when uh, the editor starts to improve my code for me, okay? And if, uh, what's that thing, Copilot? If Copilot starts to write better code for me, I get to learn it better as well. One thing I did, I've been starting to use naturally is local functions. I just I use them all the time. And I use them a lot because of uh, of just how I started to program in the new um, single file in just a console application, you know, they're all in there. They're all kind of local functions, then maybe not. I don't know what they are. Yeah, they are. But (laughs) but because of that, it, it started having me think of programming a little bit different in my normal applications. You know, and that's been around for like ever. So sometimes, you know, you don't have to adopt all the latest and greatest features. It's like that whenever someone puts out a line, a sample of code and they're like, oh, like there's five billion ways of doing this. Yeah. And they're all pretty much correct. I mean, maybe some are more performant, but it's all compiled and it's probably pretty smart. So it probably doesn't really matter. But I am starting to adopt new things. Like I use string literals a lot because I do a lot of like different JSON stuff. Uh, in general, and just new pattern matching. But yes, C Sharp 12 preview <laughs> features are here. I don't even know what that means, Frank. They're previews of a feature in C Sharp and .NET 8, I guess. .NET 8? Eight? 8? Eight? Eight? Gosh. Preview 3? Eight, eight. Is 8 the one that runs on 1.44 megabytes? I, I want to run that 8th one. With C Sharp 12? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, the question is, if you start <laughs> well, you to know, use C Sharp 12 features, will it will no longer fit on a floppy disk? Well, I've been living in the past, honestly, a bit, because it's taken me a while to port my apps from Xamarin. And Mm. only now am I getting to a place where the majority of my code is in .NET 7 now. I kind of miss .NET 6. I've been jumping straight to .NET 7. And so that got me up to, what, like C Sharp 11, right? So that's been pretty good, just starting to adopt those kinds of features and things. Uh, I, I, I do a lot of local functions also. 
I, I think it's just good for the namespace. Just keeping the, just keeping the class clean. Just yeah, know, keeping those little guys out of the way. Plus, honestly, they make the um, they make like functional programming better to give names to things because otherwise you're just doing lambdas everywhere. And we're going to talk about lambdas today, but yeah, a lot of lambdas they get a little bit much, uh, too many of them, and those kinds of things. Uh, and you're also right about the tooling. My favorite feature is, and it's funny, VS Code doesn't do this, but Visual Studio for Mac does this. If you go to a namespace and put a semicolon, it automatically removes the curlies and reindents the code. It's no big deal. I can go delete a curly here, a curly there, and reindent the code, but it just Love it. I just open files and hit the colon or semicolon. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Look at me. C sharp 11 or 10 I don't even remember. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite thing, there's a, so many favorite things that happen in just like you're talking about is when I do demos and presentations and you add a new file, it often does the older style because it's like backwards compatibility yeah. mode. A template. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, let me just fix this really quick, you know, and then like also like remove all the namespace. So it's just it's just a namespace and like it's just empty and like, oh, let me just fix this really quick and yeah. just make it all pretty. Uh, and that's one of my favorite things to do because you just say, let me fix it. And you just add that semicolon and it's like and yeah. done. And it's just magical and it's a beautiful thing or like um, implicit usings, like the global usings where you can just like right click. And of course, Visual Studio has been able to clean up namespaces forever. <laughs> but just when you do that and just like yeah. it's just do it throughout my Those whole project, nuts. it's like pfft, blows them all away. It's great. Yeah. The one part where I'm having a little bit trouble, normally all the people who complain, oh, there's three ways to do the same thing. I'm with you. I don't care about them. I'm like, yeah, give me, give me a fourth way. Give me a fifth way. You know, get it right. Keep giving me ways until it's right. But I am getting annoyed with one thing. I, cause I find I question myself now in code. You know how we used to just write if variable is equals equals null, then do this. Otherwise do that. The, the innocent little null check, James. Mm -hmm. First, it became, well, we shouldn't do that because you can overload the equals equals operator and who knows what that's going to do. So you should instead do is object. You're like, ooh, that's, that's ooh. fascinating. Huh? Yeah, that's that yeah. And then they introduced is curly curly. And you're like, huh, that's idiomatic. <laughs> A little weird, but I, I guess I can go with that. And then they're like, is not object. You're like, okay, not. Okay. I, I thought not was the exclamation point, but I guess not's a thing now. And then like, is, is not squigglies. And you're like, what, what are you doing now? And then the James just, to, and then they're like, you thought object was weird. What about null? And you're like, it should have been null all the time. So now you can say is null is not null. <laughs> and so now there's like, I don't know, depending on how you count six to a thousand different ways to check for null. In C -sharp. Yeah. So that's a little weird, but other than that, I'm okay with most of the changes. Well, and it's also not only just changes the C-sharp syntax, also to .NET itself. I was actually just in monkey cache, my caching library, and someone was using it for uh, a really complex use case, but they were doing lots and lots of caching really, really fast on multiple threads. And there's one thing I'm not really good at, Frank, which is multiple <laughs> threads. I like one thread, and I like it when it's on the <laughs> UI. Uh, so so uh, there, there's the file system cache that my, my, my app has, and um, this one, John Dick implemented. So I'm going to throw all the shade on John Dick, but he was doing an MD, uh, md5.create and then using that um, to compute hash later on. That is not thread safe. However, in .NET 5, they introduced md5.hashdata. So md5. Oh. And that is thread safe. So boom, I was able to upgrade that and it's backwards compatible. 
and it will generate the same stuff, obviously. So it's there and it's confirmed by the engineers. It's actually really cool. Um, in and this you don't issue. have to do that awkward little allocation. I know it wasn't a big allocation, but it was just awkward that I had to allocate an object in order to do an MD5. So you mm-hmm. don't have to do that anymore. I mean, it no allocation. Still the hoods, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, That's no good it's, all, it's all done. There's a whole thread here. I will link it into the show notes. Um, yeah, Kevin Jones, who works on product security and cryptography at GitHub and on the dot on dot net, I guess maybe at GitHub and on dot net. I don't know what he does. I mean, he does everything. So, um, yeah. <laughs> when was that introduced? Uh, I, sorry, <laughs> rabbit hole. Uh, that's fun because I MD five all the time. So done at like five. five. Yeah. Been a while, huh? Yeah. Okay. Just sitting around, not using it, I but it's okay. It. It's okay. Like that's that's one thing. Before we jump into this show, I want to let our listeners know, our viewers know, it's okay. It's okay. You're going to go to conferences. You're going to see videos about the latest and greatest stuff, right? It's okay. You don't. It's fine. You don't have to use the stuff. And it's not bad. If you don't use the stuff. I, you know, for years, right, in the Xamarin early Xamarin days, we didn't get to use async await. We weren't allowed to, right? It wasn't. Mm-mm, mm-mm. We were not using. It. We were using old school C sharp and dot and all, all this stuff. And then we got it. And then we, over time, moved the code over, right? And some of my code was, it worked. It was just there. So I just left it. You know what I mean? Eventually we, we upgraded, right? And other things, it happened. So you don't have to use it right away. And obviously that was a limitation, but you know, not anymore. So it's like you move eventually over time, you know? And I think that that's okay. Your code's gonna keep working and that is fantastic. However, Frank, I will say this. Um, I am actually really, 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 really excited about the the the, the big one. If I'm going to say the big one, because there's three features, so there's only maybe they're all big, but this is to me, this one has the most text in the blog from Kathleen. So I'm going to say it's the big one. But let's go back to records, Frank. Must mm-hmm. and, and you can, do you use can records? I, can I tell you, James? James, James, I don't use records enough. Yeah. I still write records the long-handed way because I started in C sharp one and mm-hmm. I don't know any better than to just type and type and type and keep typing until the code is running. I I write I I use records, <laughs> lowercase records, all the time. Do I remember to use the record syntax in C sharp? No, never. Because I need to bake it into my head. I use records all the time in F sharp. I should be using records all the time in C sharp, but I'm just a big dummy. Everyone, everyone, let's use records because they're a great immutable data type with a nice, beautiful thing on it called a primary constructor. Yes. One and only one way. <laughs> when, when, when records were introduced and they introduced the primary constructor, it really, really, um, um, sparked a little bit of like what Kotlin does with some of their classes and they have primary constructors. And I was like, Oh, I, I saw that. And, and a lot of people were in Kotlin world and doing Android dev. And they said, well, look at, look at how little code I have to write to create a person class. In fact, it's one line of code, right? It's, it's a whatever. And you just put the things and it does the things. And you're like, Oh, you fancy over there. That's, you know, you know, <laughs> great. So then records came along and I'm like, this is great. But I wasn't really sure, right? Because now we got structs, we got classes, we got records. I'm like, I don't really know which one to use and, and when, um, you know, I, I was already str- struggling half the time <laughs> to use classes and structs, correct? But classes and structs didn't get primary constructors, but 
um, records did. And it was really nice. You could then put everything on one line of, 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 of code and you would have an entire data type. But now, Frank, C-sharp 12, everybody gets primary constructors. Every, you get a primary <laughs> constructor, the Frank constructor. Everyone gets a primary constructors because why not? Classes, structs, yeah. why not? Everyone gets it. Look, I, I think this is actually a really good feature, and I think it's a long time coming. I think people, when uh, primary constructors came to record types, were all like, yeah, but what about our other classes? We could really use them. So to be clear, a primary constructor is basically where you're de defining the constructor and the fields of the class all at once. You're just saying, here's my data type name, and here are the fields slash constructor parameters, and it makes those fields for you. Those things are available now within the class. In the records, it does an additional thing. It also makes them public properties. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not going to happen in your class. So the big difference between the records and the class are you still get this nice terse syntax where you only have to define your fields and your constructor things once, which is really nice. I hate repeating myself. And then you can have what uh, Swift calls like convenience constructors that then call into that primary constructor. But everything is known to go through that one nicely named primary constructor. I, I like this thing a lot. Okay, I, I, before... I had a friend who I was teaching C-sharp to, and I'd be like, here's how you define a class. Here's how you define the fields in it. Now here you got to write a constructor and you got to redeclare all those fields as the parameters. And then inside the body of that, you got to do this dot that equals that. This dot foo equals foo. And it was honestly a lot of typing. And then editors got better, refactorers happened, and then we all got copilot and chat GPT. And now that just <laughs> generates code for us. But... It's still so much nicer to only say those things once and only yeah. once. The end. <laughs> the game changer here in in this is that this cascades on other C sharp features that have been introduced over the years. They're not new as they're, they're new error, but you know, being able to set the default value on um, on a, on a public property, right? You usually do get set. And then you could you could assign that to have a default like string dot empty or zero or or an empty list. And that's sort of a game changer because if it wasn't in your constructor, in your constructor you're like, oh, let me let me either set the backing field and then I got to create a backing field, or I'd have to like create it in the constructor and set the default the property. But then you could just say like name get set and then squigglies equals James, right? And then you have James. That's your default for every uh, person or whatever that is created. The cool part here is that these are primary constructor parameters, right? So you're right. They're not backing fields. Those aren't generated for you, but there are parameters that are passed in that you can use later on to perhaps like set the defaults, which is actually kind of amazing because what you'd end up doing is exactly what you just said is you would end up creating this constructor and then assigning all of these public getters and setters over and over again. You'd have this big chunky thing and, and that, and the, like, I wish the blog post had a before and after, because <laughs> I, I think that would really be a game a game changer. You're seeing like, OK, before you they have a student example that passes an ID, name and grades. So what you what they're showing is, hey, this all fits on seven lines of code where before it would be like, I don't know, 12, 13 lines of code based on your white space that you have inside of there. Um, and to me, that is nice because there's no value. There, there's not value really mm -hmm. in 
the constructor. Um, some people might say cleanliness, but I say constructors, Frank, they get in my way because do I put the <laughs> private variables above the constructor? Do I put yeah. it above the public getters and setters? Do I, yeah. you know, where do I put the getters? Like, where does my constructor end up going? In fact, I don't even want a constructor. Get out of here, constructor, Psh, because I got primary constructor. <laughs> And then even even if you end up writing a class that has like six different kinds of constructors, because there's a million different ways you can create this kind of data, if you're like me, you generally create another constructor that actually takes in all those different arguments, and they all kind of funnel to that one anyway. So I think we all kind of use primary constructors anyway. It, it, it just ends up that way. You end up with one that does initialize kind of all the fields and everything. And so this is going to be quite the time saver. In fact, what I I did it just yesterday. Um, you type out a class, and then I move the cursor up to its name. I hit Alt Enter, and I say Generate Constructor dot dot dot. That one's important because there's also a Generate Constructor no dot 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 in the choices. Mm. The dot 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 one initializes the fields. The other one doesn't. So it's important when choosing your refactoring. This is all VS Mac and VS Code kind of stuff. I don't know what it's like on Windows. But it's funny. I, I rely heavily on that generate constructor refactoring because I don't want to type that thing out. And so you can be rest assured, this is a feature I'm definitely stealing in any code base that I can get onto .NET 8. Now, I guess the the thing that people would say is, like, what if I had a private variable? Let's say I was passing in the name, but I had a private variable called name. It is private. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, like you declare your own? I'm sure yeah. it'll just give you a compiler error because then you would have two fields. It's it's hard to say. Um, most likely the backing field will have an identical name to the actual parameter name that you provide in the constructor. Um, but I haven't tried this yet. Yeah, this says, and I'm going to read, I'm going to read from <laughs> the blog. Okay, the blog it says, when primary constructor parameters are used in methods or property accessor, um, they need to be captured in order for them to stay around after the constructor is done executing. That makes sense. If you pass them mm -hmm. in, you don't do anything with them. They will go yeah. away. <laughs> They'll go away. Um, <laughs> well, important for garbage collection, because you might think that you're holding a reference, but you may not be. So you need good. to do something to hold. Yeah. And it says, this is similar to how parameters and local variables are captured in Lambda expressions, which we're finally going to talk about here soon. Uh, for primary constructor parameters, the capture is implemented by generating a new private backing field, which you just said, on the class or struct itself. The field has an unspeakable name, which means it will <laughs> not collide with other naming and is not obvious via reflection. Consider Ouch. how you assign and use primary constructors parameter to avoid double storage. The example name on, this, on the person or student is used to initialize the auto property capital name, which has its own backing field. If another member referenced the parameter name directly, it would also be stored in its own backing field, leading to an unfortunate duplication, Frank. Whew. Okay, everyone, be very careful of that. That's an interesting... So I assumed it was going to generate a field with the same name. You just said it does not. So that is tricky if you want to support reflection. But these are private fields. So if you're supporting reflection over private fields, you probably have a weird design anyway. So maybe don't no. use this. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, that sounds a little complicated, but I bet you in practice, it's going to feel fine. I think in practice, you're right. It's It's probably going to be fine because when you think about a constructor that you have today, those parameters are actually uh, mostly throwaway, right? Because mm -hmm. you're assigning them to your private field. 
In this case, you could assign it to your private field or you could set it to the default value of your you yeah. know, public field. And if you wanted to definitely hold a reference and definitely capture it under a good name, use a record. That's what there it's there for. Exactly. And then it'll be nice. You'll just switch the word class to record. Boom. Um, I still, I think I've been talking to Jeff. We, we, I really need that definitive when to use what like video. I'm sure this exists on YouTube. If not, I'm, I'm not smart enough to create it. Mads needs to create it or somebody else needs to create it. But like, you know, you know, record class struct, when to use what, you know, record, you know, record or sorry, you know, class instruct heap versus stack. I get it. You know, mm -hmm. there's other, other things in there, right? That that's the biggest difference. If anyone asks you, if you're taking a coding quiz, um, <laughs> I will let you figure out what that means from there. If you're not a stack versus heap <laughs> person. So, <laughs> no. um, I think of it. No, see, you're talking about an implementation details. I think mm -hmm. semantically value type versus entity type. Ooh, them that yeah. yeah that's true you're thinking about memory model there's different ways to look at these things but they do implement the yeah. memory model you mentioned i guess you know what i'm thinking of is you know that um like mastering c sharp or c sharp in a nutshell book but it's actually mm -hmm. about this big and i'm like the size of my head is what i'm doing on video for everyone <laughs> listening on podcast um i read that it was like um uh c sharp I don't know, four or whatever. And like my first job out of college, like, and here's, here's, here's how you learn C sharp. And it's this, this <laughs> mega book. And, um, I think I was learning the basics, like the intimidating the day. Um, <laughs> there we go. You want to talk about lambdas? Let's, let's skip over the next feature in the blog. And since we're talking about lambdas and how these parameters are similar, you know, primary yeah. constructors are similar to how these lambdas work. There's another feature all about lambdas. Do you want to dive into this? Yeah. This one, I, I'll actually, try I, did, to. I, I didn't, I thought that this already existed. Okay. I, James, this one weirds me out so much that I, I delayed the show because I'm like, James, I got to understand these better because th this is tripping me out. I I've written IL interpreters. I, I, I know pretty well how the stack executes code. And I'm like, they did what now? <laughs> so let me explain the feature. I'll try to, yeah, anyway, hi, it's default Lambda parameters, C-sharp 12. What is a default Lambda parameter? Well, we have our Lambdas, which are, in general, unnamed functions. It's just a function. It's got a cute syntax. You declare the parameters. You use a cute little arrow thing. You either gave it an expression body or you put some curlies and then it acts just like a function. It's an unnamed function. That's all a Lambda is. But there's always been one big difference between Lambdas and real functions. Well, there's been a lot of differences, but a weird one that I never considered before. Real functions can have default parameter values. So that is, if you try to call that function and you don't provide a value for that parameter, it just throws in the default value for that argument. Yeah, a parameter argument. Whatever. Uh, yeah, so nice, simple feature. It's been around probably since C-sharp 1. Feels like it. Old classic feature. It's an addition to overloading because it's really just a cheap way to do overloading so we don't have mm. to type a million different overloads. But lambdas don't support them. Never have supported them because they're weird, James. Lambdas come from F-sharp. Not F sharp. What, what am I saying? I'm sorry. I just I showed my bias there. <laughs> Lambdas come from functional programming. And in functional programming, A, generally speaking, every function just takes one argument. So there's no, no debate here. 
But also in general, you know exactly how many uh, arguments a function takes, and you always have to pass that number of arguments to it. Defaults don't really exist. You pass null roughly if you want defaults. And now there's this weird thing, James. I can't quite wrap my head around it, but you can create an unnamed function. Maybe it has three parameters, and two of them have default values, and therefore you can call it with one to three parameter or argument values. And there's the feature. Who who requested this, James? Who 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 hates functional programming so much that they would request this feature? No, this feature makes 100% sense because if you're because the reason that these things exist is because you don't want to if you have three parameters, you don't want to create three lambdas that take in one, two, and three different uh, parameters in it. You want one that then generates with your IntelliSense and tells you, you basically can do this. You can have one, two, or three. Like, what? it makes sense. And like, that's what I was like, Does to it? me, it's kind of like an, in, an inline function. It's like a local function to me. You know what I yeah. mean? It's, it's I should just do it. Case. Okay, okay. So in the case of a local function, it makes sense. You declared a local function, you wanted to act like a normal function, yeah. fine. But like, where in link does this apply? When you're actually passing functions around, where in Ooh. tasks does oh, it apply? This is oh. great. This, no, this is no. You're wrong. <laughs> okay, and you're wrong. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, this is this is great. Imagine you're creating a a lambda that is that sorts stuff, mm-hmm. and maybe you want the default to be ascending, but okay. maybe you want to pass in an enum that allows you to do descending. You can do that. Just have a function that returns the function. i'm I'm just saying frank okay let me let me take it from another tack so you can understand look sometimes you just look at a painting and you're appalled and so i'm just trying to explain my appall okay let me ask this question james what is the data type of a lambda uh var (laughs) no sir um magic so unicorns butterflies (laughs) yeah uh rainbow now you, you know what you can declare them as. You can declare them as actions, yes. funk, or funks, mm-hmm. or delegates. If you yes. declare your own delegate type, you can mm-hmm. cast it to those kinds of things. Because it was a trick question. I was trying to trick you, James. Um, lambdas have no type. The compiler from context decides what type to assign it. And so some time ago, was it C-sharp 10 or 11-ish? I don't even know. Uh, they, they never used to allow var for declaring a Lambda. Mm-hmm. You could declare local functions and use vars inside of them, that kind of thing, but not for a Lambda, not with paren paren equals greater than sign, not with those. And then one year they decided, you know what, we're not, even though Lambdas technically have no type, we're just going to assign the most basic type to them. Mm. So if they see a Lambda that takes no parameters and returns a value, it's a func. If it takes a parameter, doesn't return anything, it's an action. And then multiple arguments, et cetera. Here's the appalling thing. <laughs> what is the type of something that takes two parameters? It's an action T of one, T of two, the two type parameters. So that means when you call it, it needs two arguments. It must T1 and T2. 
Or does it? What if it has a de- default value now, James? I don't know. There, there has to be some magic information encoded at the type level is my best guess to make any of this kind of stuff work. And that freaks me out because we did live in a very simple world where action and funk were pretty reliable. You could translate most things. There were other fun- things like predicate out there, but most people relied on action and funk. And so I'm just scared of this new world where there's going to be all these new delegate types out there because there has to be a way for it to declare that uh, that is a default parameter on that delegate. I mean, you don't think it's just doing something which is like creating two of them, like when you compile it and the compiler just like doing stuff. The compiler needs to know because you could declare these things in another assembly. It has to be in the IL. Hmm. Well, then you're going to did you look at the implementation to figure out how it does it? No, uh, I like I get uh, I'm, I'm just going to assume <laughs> I like to assume, James. <laughs> um, delegate types, uh, you, know, you know, if you type like delegate void, blah, 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 take yeah. some parameters that actually turns into a full class. So I'm, I'm assuming that the class just gets tagged with a bunch of metadata so that the C-sharp compiler knows how to deal with it. I'm a little worried whether F-sharp will know how to deal with that kind of stuff. Because not only, um, sorry, I, I skipped around a little bit there. So not only can the lambdas have the default parameters, but you need to express that in the type system. And so when you're declaring new delegate types, you can say that that delegate type parameter has a default value also. Got it. That makes sense. So that's why I think it's uh, it's in there in the IL somewhere. I like this feature. I also like this other feature, Frank. <laughs> this is mind blowing. I love it. Using directives for additional types. What if Frank? What if Frank? You wanted a type, but it didn't exist. And what would you do? I guess you would like create a class. And I got a new, new type. Chat. No, no. <laughs> I don't you know, do my Matt, job anymore. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Imagine, imagine you were like, oh, a, uh, a measurement or a, a, a path of points, or I'm just reading the measurement, right? And it takes in uh, units and distance, right? You would, you would create a class or a record or a struct, or you would create something. But Frank, what if you didn't have to? And what if you could just create your own types on the fly? You get an int, you get a vo- double, you get a what? You, everybody gets their own types. You want types? We got types for days. Actually, this is a really cool feature. I'm not going to lie about it because how many times? Well, how many times have you created like a a point? Like it's like, you know, point X, Y, right? Like it's it's all it is. Well, here you can just say using give a type a name and then you set it equal to whatever you want it to be. And those things can be anything pretty much. They can be a tuple, for example. That's mostly what you'd probably that's be using. That's the one that's blowing case. your mind. <laughs> yeah, the tuple. The tuple is what's really using your net, the, the blowing your, my mind. And just, you don't even have to give them names. You can just give them types, right? You can say, oh, yeah. measurement, string int. Or you can yeah. do measurement, string units, int distance. And it's like, cool, I gotcha, bro. Like, done. Okay. You know what I mean? And then you can just pass that in anywhere. It's just a type. You Everybody gets a type. Who doesn't want types? <laughs> James, I, I, I can't believe you've reduced this feature to such a small example. It, this is so huge. This, this has been a missing feature from C Sharp since version one. Version one, we've been asking for this feature. It's called a type def in C++. There's a type out there, but I don't no. want to use it by that name. 
I want to give it my name. Yeah. It's especially big with generics, you know, like you have observable collection of a tuple of a list of, of a, uh, yeah. God knows, you know, you know how they get. Yeah. And you start cop. I was doing that just today. I was copying around this, like took up half Mega. the line, this, yep. da- this one data type. And yes, I know I should go create a class and stop using tuples everywhere, but no, no. Parentheses are really easy to type, and, uh, but it is frustrating copying and pasting that type all around. So finally, we have type def, whereas usings, you could only create a name for a very specific type. It's non-generic, too, like a very specific one other type. Yeah. Now you can do the crazy things. You could do records and tuples and laws and lists and generics and who knows what. Uh, this is long overdue and I will welcome it hugely, especially I'm assuming it's going to support the global modifier because I could really use that too. But uh, I'll take it even if it doesn't have the global part. It's got to. That, that'd be really be nice. I'm gonna, be I, have to, I have to double check the, the spec on it. But yeah, that would be super nice. Else it's just in the class, right? But no, I think that this is is a game changer for that regard because now how I look at it is exactly what you just said. Once tu- once tuples, and you didn't have to use the word tuple anymore and have you know <laughs> what value one, value two, whatever, you had real tuples that were just you yeah. know string Named and whatever. Values, yeah. Oh, then yeah, I I would have these tuples that are are deep. You just get, your tuples <laughs> keep growing. <laughs> Deep, deep tubes. And these tuples just grow forever. <laughs> I don't Infinite tuples. They, do. It's, it's, they just keep going. But now your tuples have a beautiful name. Frank's magic list. And then yeah. that's just all it is. And, and then you have to worry about it. So to me, I think this really sort of cleans up the code. And additionally, because if you do create those specifically tuples in this instance is what I think, um, you're, you can reuse that everywhere throughout your code. And I think that's just going to make it absolutely yeah. delightful. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I totally forgot that you could just, yeah, what you said was from C++. Oh, I've not used C++ in a long time, Frank. How am I supposed to remember what C++ does? I know, I but I do miss this feature. Um, yeah. I, sometimes you just don't want to create a new type, maybe for performance reasons, too. Like, I like to cheat around in my code. Um, there's... Well, this used to be a bigger deal when it was like Mac versus iOS, but there'd be places where some things were end floats and other things were float 32s. So I would often create like a using at the top that's called like native float. <laughs> and I would just yeah. cast to that and then switch it, switch it around with if does do, do kind of nasty things like this. And this makes doing nasty things easier. So I kind of love it for that. And um, no, it's not nasty things like it, they should have always allowed you to say, like, here is a long generic type. Please, for the love of God, let me use a shorter name for it. Well, so, thank and you. <laughs> what I'm really hoping for, by the way, is that this comes into like a refactoring where Visual Studio is just like <laughs> this. This should not oh, yeah. this tuple should, is inappropriate. Let me let me can I just <laughs> let me just refactor that for you. And then, in fact, you know, if if Copilot is writing your code, it could it could give you the thing and then write the using up top for you. Now that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I'm just, just do all the things. See, you know, it's funny. Even in the beginning of the episode, you were mentioning new language features and AIs. I am a little bit concerned that AIs are going to keep us conservative with our language advancements mm. because mm. AIs tend to fall back, re- revert to the mean. Uh, they are going to. They don't even generate C sharp ten code. They just generate yeah. C sharp six seven eight ish kind of code which is fine it's it's good code 
but quite often after it's done generating, you run it through a quick refactoring just to tighten it up with new syntax advancements. And so I am a little bit worried when you get something that's purely syntactical, like the the record thing, like it's it's a shorter way to write a constructor, uh, primary constructors, I should say, are a shorter way to write the fields in the constructors of a class. Uh, these using directors are a shorter way to write out a type name. Uh, they are conveniences for humans. Uh, AIs may not need such conveniences. So I'm a little bit worried that there's going to be a weird little battle here, especially in this modern era of using these new features. But thankfully, we have amazing um, code analysis engines, and I'm sure those will pick up the slack. But it won't be the AIs, I don't think, helping us with this kind of stuff. Yeah, what I think you need the AIs to do is they need us to write the code. And specifically, what I think is they need like all the sample code to be updated, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. And because exactly. of a lot of samples and whoever's writing the sample codes needs to use the modern feature, which means what you're saying is the actual IntelliSense, IntelliCode, that engine, the refactoring will help us get there. So they can't modernize. People, yeah. yeah, you they can't live They're They're independent. And they need to work together somehow. And that, that's how I see them coming together. Oh, yes. I love it. I'm excited about the, and this, oh, I don't know if they're doing more. I'm assuming they're going to, there's going to be more than three features, but at least these are the first three. I actually kind of like that. I kind of like that. If I just want to go mix around with these yeah. three features, I could go, just go do that and don't have like, here's a whole bunch of things, but we'll see what else yeah. comes from here. But I'll put a link to the blog. Anything else you want to say about these features? Are you excited? I'm excited. Uh, hashtag finally, I feel like an Apple fanboy like this, this type def. Man, I've wanted this type def for a long time. So these are, thank you. Thank you for finally giving it to us. <laughs> these are good, usable features. You know what I mean? Like these are nice quality <laughs> of life improvements that are, are by yeah. no means small features, I'm sure, for the team to implement, but they are nice additions yeah. to my life. Not making fun of it, it, but this isn't like async enumerables. We were like, well, I just have to re-architect my app to take advantage of yeah. Yeah. This is like, oh no, I can use this in my code today. <laughs> And those to me are the best features at the end of the day. Like there are ones that are like that. We're like, oh, actually underneath the hood, .NET is going to start using these new features and things and all this other stuff. But no, like this is, I can go and use this today. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you, Frank. I want to remind everybody on the internet that you can find us everywhere on the internet. You can find us at mergeconflict.fm. That's where we're at on the internet. We are ever on, on every podcast platform in the world, including YouTube podcasts, youtube.com forward slash podcast is where there's podcasts. You probably can't find us there. So you'd have to go to my YouTube, youtube.com forward slash James Montemagno. I'll put the link down there if you want, but you can see Frank and us live. Did you know that, Frank? I'm, I'm vaguely alive. I'm 98% alive. Yeah, we're mostly here for you. And we also have Patreons. We got <laughs> bonus episodes, links in the show notes, all the good stuff. And just like we've done for the last 354 episodes, we're going to end it like this. That's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening and watching. Peace. Peace.